you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Tyson, why do you suggest leaving your wonderful Canadian home and uh, heading down to the uh, American South, uh, to the Gulf Coast in particular? Lord, I'm sick and tired of feeding cows and all this ice and snow. Lord, take me down to Galveston where them good breezes blow. You buy Lone Star, I buy Coors. You drink mine, honey, I drink yours. Yes, that is Ian Tyson in a song called Lone Star and Coors, uh, where Ian just decides that Texas might be a better place to uh, spend your winter rather than the old, uh, oh, how shall we say it, minus 36 that we've had here recently in the week as we come up towards the uh, Christmas day when I'm recording this. Well, hello to everybody. Um, I'm hoping by the time New Year's Eve comes out, when I'm actually going to release this, that we're looking forward to a few more uh, uh, more seasonal climbs. We have actually had, uh, I can't count the storms anymore, but I really haven't seen the grass since, oh, let me see. I want to say the week before Halloween. So that's about two more, two months ago. And uh, by the way, yesterday was February 21st, Equinox, which tells me that on the calendar, winter just began. So uh, I don't know how many more uh, 
more of this we got to go, but we actually do get spring here in sunny southern Alberta. I hate to say so. Uh, I'm hoping that maybe by New Year's Day the uh, the icicles and the uh, will be out of the eave troughs on my new cabin here. So, so anyway, welcome to uh, a special bonus New Year's Eve edition here of Prairie Justice. And as just sort of a potpourri show, we're not going to have any dramas. We're not going to examine any particular vigilante comics on this show. We're just kind of sort of going to catch up and do a little few things that I've been uh, meaning to do. And in my year of uh, unscheduled absences, just haven't had a chance to do it. So a little bit of catch up. So we're going to do a little feedback and just have a little fun here as we head into... 2023 boy where's my jetpacks i'm in 2023 why am i not driving a hover car to work now i just don't understand well i guess science has been uh, more interested in trying to keep us all alive the last few years and uh i guess we'll take that right here and loaded for bear ma'am being as how we're just doing a bit of a fun tr uh, episode here I thought it'd be cool to uh, pop in something uh, that I found on YouTube. And I'm not going to attribute this to myself. I'm going to attribute this to the uh, YouTube channel called Heroes and Villains. And you can look that up on your own. Um, this was mostly positively received, which is a strange thing for YouTube. But in this home cut video, uh, the administrator has uh, gone into uh, DC animated mo uh, movies like the Brave and Bold Collection and Justice League Unlimited and isolated, pardon me, <coughs> the quotes made by Vigilante uh, in those uh, great animated uh, features or uh, I guess regular shows as it were. And uh, there's not a lot, but it's just a few minutes, and we get a, a real good sense of uh, how Vigilante is portrayed in those. Um, part of this, we get the uh, the Brave and Bold uh, clip that we uh, did in last year's New Year's Eve uh, bonus special. But uh, we also have uh, the uh, quotes made by, in the voice of Mr. Nathan Fillion who many of you know from the uh, television show Castle and uh, many, many other motion pictures. And uh, I, I have to note, Nathan Fillion is an Albertan. He's from Edmonton, Alberta. So uh, I think that's a neat little uh, connection that we have from the vigilante up here to my neck of the woods. So without further ado, here's the great quotes of Vigilante. Sure you don't want any help? Thanks, Vigilante, but Gotham is my turf. I can respect that. Man's gotta do what a man's gotta do. No, reset your hyperdrive vectors. Nobody likes a backseat driver, ma'am. You need another 20 hours of flight time before you're certified. Well, some of us are already rat certifiable. Vigilante, you got a problem with me, we can take it to the gym after the mission's over. No problem, ma'am. Resetting the vectors. Maybe you ought to try riding side saddle for a change. 
If you hand her Let over, the rest of you can go free. If you choose to fight with her, you will most assuredly die with her. Let me think on that. You got the drop on me, partner. May have spoke prematurely on that. Now you and me are gonna have a little confab concerning the location of your spaceship. Who's flying my ship? Tom Song, King Busted Horse, Steven Alien Control Panel, which can't nobody work proper. <laughs> the exact second the movie's over, we get a mission. Dang, if that ain't lucky. I still say this Clint Eastwood dishonored himself when he refused to... What was it? Play by the rules? Partner, your medieval upbringing has done left you unschooled in the ways of the moving picture. No, his proper duty is to his police captain. I see why they call him dirty. He besmirches his order. Sir Justin, if you want to be watching stuff on my big TV with the 5.1 surround sound, you had best watch what you say about Mr. Clint Eastwood. Stargirl, ladies and gentlemen, the all-American sweetheart. Wow, we really know how to work a crowd. Shoot, if I broke my guitar, I'd have them eaten out of my hand. What do you got? You don't speak for the team, I do. Maybe I should let them take me. Like horse hockey. Pardon my French. We're Justice League. I'm coming, darling! So you're all my deputies. Now go ride herd on that crowd and get them somewhere safe. The Justice League is bound to send a search party in a day or two. Stay safe. Back on Dios. Right here and loaded for bear, ma'am. Well, I guess I won't get Nathan Fillion anything to worry about. I just thought that would be a little fun thing to do here. By the way, uh, Justice League Unlimited uh, is being covered on none other than, well, what else? JLU cast by the incomparable Chris Franklin and Cindy Franklin, the supermates themselves, over on the Fire and Water Network. And I believe they're going to be getting into... Uh, the season where Vigilante starts to appear. So uh, I really look forward to Chris and Cindy's take on uh, that uh, that amazing uh, television show, which uh, I, I think is actually superior to the Justice League uh, show that inspired it. But that's just me. I just like it because there's a lot more characters involved. And, uh, of course, because Vigilante's there. And uh, Chris himself is an awesome Vigilante fan as well. In fact, uh, Chris is a very talented graphic artist and toy collector. And he has made a, uh, a custom Mego of the Vigilante. So, uh, tune in for JLU cast, folks. And I'll try to get a promo here on this podcast so you can find out where to find it. I know it's heartbreaking to have your favorite shows preempted, but look what you're getting instead. JLUcast brings you Justice League Season 2. Woo! Back in 
business. The Justice League faces their greatest foe. This is a chance to rid ourselves of the League once and for all. Darkseid, Brainiac, Dr. Destiny, Lex Luthor, Amazo, Vandal Savage, Eclipso, The Joker, Harley Quinn, The Royal Flush Gang, The Secret Society of Supervillains, and themselves? Dale Ucast Season 2, available on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and at firewaterpodcast.com. Always have to be the hero, don't you? Right back at you. Well, up north it's Saddle Bronx and it's hockey and honky tonk. Old Will Carter, 78s. He Done stuff like chores when it's 20 below. They're the things that a country boy hates. Too much damn wind, not enough whiskey, drives them on northern boys flat wild. And he may go to hell, or even Vancouver, he'll always be Alberta's child. Yes, he will. Right with them Jesus up in the heavy love. Slide. Answer all our questions further down this muddy road. Oh, cowboys cross the great divide. Divide. about the weather are becoming a trend here on today's Prairie Justice podcast. Are you sensing a trend? Uh, I've always identified with both of those songs, uh, Lone Star and Coors and Alberta's Child, because uh, <clears throat> I'm from Alberta. Anybody remember that? But uh, I have definitely spent my share of winters feeding cattle in the uh, ice and snow and the wind. And yes, sometimes there is just not enough whiskey, but what can I do? We're all Alberta's child. Again, Ian Tyson. Uh, if you don't know this man, it's good to hit the YouTubes or the iTunes or whatever you say and uh, look into his songs. It's sort of country music for people who don't like country music. And uh, unlike a lot of people, Ian Tyson actually lives the life. He certainly knows the back end of a horse from the front. Now, speaking of the back end of a horse, I always like to look forward to feedback to find out how I'm doing here on Prairie Justice and um, find out how I can improve 
improve and uh, occasionally I don't even mind taking a bit of kudos now and then. So one of the reasons for this bonus episode was just to catch up on a few letters and some feedback um, that we've had. And I believe I have one, possibly two here from the great Dave McElvaney. And the reason I get confused as to how many I have, because Dave also sends voluminous amounts of postcards as well, personalized postcards, not in an email, not any transfers, not in any kind of electronic uh, means whatsoever in the mail. It's, and uh, when I first uh, notified that I was going to be moving, um, Dave, I think, was one of the first people that wanted to have my new address. So, and the, the cards keep on coming. And thank you, Dave. I really appreciate it. And I'm sorry that I am so very bad at re recidivizing the, uh, that great act of kindness. But at any rate, here's uh, a letter uh, regarding our November edition of Prairie Justice in which we talked about, I want to say it was uh, Action Comics 53 in our third round with the Rainbow Man. And Dave Bacalvaney writes, Greetings, Ranger Gord. It's good to hear you back in my ears. And good to hear another adventure of Vigilante and Stuff. I have to say that Rainbow Man, although he seems to be a continuing foe of Vig, is pretty much a C or even D list villain with relatively unimaginative, even for the times, criminal schemes and a very limited use of his rainbow motif. Green, yellow and pink? He doesn't even remove the tools of Vigilante's trade when he places him in a death trap not only leaving him his spurs, but his gun belt and lariat. Or, apparently, interview potential henchmen to make sure they're not colorblind. By the way, Jellybean Jones does get called out in the story for mentioning the wrong color of a jelly bean, and he thinks emeralds are rubies, so someone should have noticed. Granted, Vidge probably shouldn't be facing a Lex Luthor or a Brainiac, but I hope he gets foes of a higher caliber. Was that a pun, Dave? I don't think it is because Vidge doesn't use his guns anymore, so there's not much caliber going on. As always, your musical choices were appropriate for the theme of the story and made me smile. I'm looking forward to your next episode, and I'm glad to hear that you're well settled and happy in your new home in Pincher Creek. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvaney. And uh, to answer Dave, yes, uh, Dave points out that Jellybean Jones did uh, drop some broad hints that he of his color blindness, and I had actually color uh, color blindness. I had actually uh, called that out in my comments on the story that uh, the color blindness had never come up, and I didn't catch what Dave caught. So good catch, Dave. Thanks, Super Dave, and damn, I did not catch on to those hints. So I do owe Mort, or the Morts, as it is, an apology. At any rate, the coloring was so badly botched in this print, I'm not sure you could notice visually. Kind of ironic that a Rainbow Man story was so badly published. And no, the Rainbow Man ain't so bright. That is a pun. I hope future villains will provide more contrast. More puns. Uh, just got your postcard, and yes, the colors of the leaves up here are gorgeous up here. 
I had a last look at my sold property and I was sad to see the last foliage all over the ground. Thank you, Dave. And, uh, and as we've stressed, the fall colors have given away to a prolonged winter weather and now winter in fact as well. So we are waiting for a bit of a, uh, a bit of a warm-up spell and we hope we're going to get that. And, uh, Wilf Carter knows all about waiting for a Chinook. Forty-five below, and the ground is white with snow. It's the only thing that keeps me from Jolene. Eighty miles is just too far when you haven't got a car. And a hike in the cold would be insane. It makes a man grow old. Working in the bitter cold What's a man gotta do to make a buck? I'm just waiting for the warm So I can head back home again And I know that I won't be coming back I'm looking to the west For the cold to have a rest Praying for the ark to show I can hardly wait to lend a holder in my arms again, waiting for the Chinook winds to blow. Yes, I'm waiting for the Chinook winds to blow. Yes, I'm waiting for the Chinook winds to blow. Another great Alberta cowboy singer uh, talking about the phenomenon that can raise the temperature in the winter time of 100 degrees Fahrenheit overnight and eat up snow like you can't believe. But Wilf Carter uh, would have been a contemporary of Greg Saunders in the 1940s had uh, the vigilante been an actual character. Uh, he began uh, transplanted Nova Scotian who moved to Alberta in the, uh, oh, I believe in the 1920s and during the Depression, he uh, became a mountain trail guide in the National Park of Banff when he happened to, to uh, become the uh, client provider who worked for RCA Records from New York, happened to visit the park. And Wilf was providing the, a service of uh, not only doing the trail guides in the park for tourists, but also providing campfire entertainment at night. And uh, the RCA man uh, immediately engaged Wilf Carter into a contract that he was in with RCA for well over six decades, right up to his death in the 1990s. And I got to meet Wilf Carter when he was an old man and I was just a young fella. Uh, around about the time he recorded this song in 1980. Uh, anyway, he became one of RCA's uh, probably uh, longest uh, ser serving uh, contracted uh, singers, I guess as it were, or acts, features. Uh, was best known in the 1940s in the United States on the American side as Montana Slim. But he was never from Montana. He was a born in Nova Scotia and spent uh, much of his early career in Alberta and uh, spent his later years in Florida actually 
So, uh, Wolf Carter, uh, heck of a good guy. His, his uh, sound might sound a bit hokey, but uh, it's authentic, I have to tell you. Now I suppose I should get back to some comic talk before my geek cred is pulled and my podcast gets cancelled for lack of interest. Yeah, lack of interest is going to be the problem. Lack of talent, more likely. At any rate, um, I thought I'd do something uh, just a little different to uh, put into this uh, poopery sort of uh, episode that we got going on. And I wanted to read a couple of entries out of the Who's Who Omnibus Volume 1. Now, Who's Who... If you didn't know, well, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but Who's Who was basically, in 1985, a celebration of DC Comics and DC Comics' 50th anniversary. Uh, They thought that they should do a uh, compendium, encyclopedia sort of an arrangement uh, based on its uh, the characters in its history, the superheroes and other various uh, villains and other various... uh, Characters, sorry, words aren't coming to me today. They're frozen in the air. Um, of course, DC wasn't the first to get this idea originally. This was uh, in about 1982, I want to say. Uh, Ohatmu, the the uh, handbook of the Marvel Universe, had come out, and a serialized monthly episode that uh, detailed. Uh, Marvel's universe and its characters and events and not DC didn't just I want to say copy and of course let's face it comic book characters and comic book companies rather rip each other off all the time and who's who decided to take the Ohatmu idea but they did a little bit uh, things a little bit different if if you're familiar with Ohatmu uh, they tended to show one picture of a character sort of in a static position and a lot of statistics and that sort of a thing around it. DC wanted to concentrate more on art and on original art. So we did have that uh, alphabetical listing that went month to month to month beginning, actually I want to say November or December of 1984, uh, continued well into 1986 before they uh, finished the original run and then did constant updates uh, through the, the final part of the 1980s and then completely, uh, shall we say, rebooted the concept to uh, have some large format, uh, loose leaf uh, sort of a format that ran through most of the 1990s. So DC spent about the better part of 10 years on various who's who uh, concepts. And of course there were little offshoots such as a who's who in the Legion and who's who in the Star Trek universe and so on. Uh, And I believe they also revived it again around 1997. And uh, this has been a concern that led me to the discovery of uh, a couple of guys named Shag and Rob who have not only become conversive with but have actually talked to a few times and appeared on their podcasts. And of course, these are the pioneers of the Who's Who podcast, the Fire and Water podcast, and finally the Fire and Water Network. And if you want an extensive go-through of uh, the Who's Who project, well... 
you can certainly look through the fire and water catalog and find their project their uh their listings as well they have spent probably since i want to say 2011 on the who's who uh, uh analysis so i wanted to take a couple of uh, listings and mm, on a vigilante podcast i wonder who that might be uh, might might we be uh, looking at a vigilante listing no of course not we're going to look at the dummy first and the reason i'm doing that was just because of, we have just done an episode um that was more or less about the dummies uh use during crisis and all-star squadron and i wanted to just sort of keep on that because he's going to become a thing in action comics in episodes that are coming up so this appears actually on page 231 of the omnibus and if you're not uh, utilizing it uh, for reading in the wintertime, you can also utilize it, as I do with several other books, on uh, outside wall insulations. So, uh, on the it's a half-page uh, listing, because the dummy isn't exactly your grade-A Lex Luthor Joker kind of a villain, and that's fine. And our art is by Marshall Rogers. And if you don't know who Marshall Rogers is, uh, he was probably, to my mind, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Batman artist that was ever produced. He also worked on Mr. Miracle and several other properties in D.C. through the 1970s and 1980s. And he's just uh, a great character for the... Uh, the form when you're not working with superheroes, but you're working with street-level characters such as the dummy is. And uh, the way the Who's Who format is, you get uh, a logo, an original kind of logo, if he doesn't have his own logo, an original drawing, and then other listings in what uh, is sort of a faded background uh, effect that I believe printers and graphic artists call surprint. Or at least that's what Rob Kelly tells me, and I know he never lies. So uh, the Marshall's vision of the dummy is, as she says, is to a little person, uh, a very grotesque sort of a looking face, bulging eyeballs, uh, bulbous cheeks, and a mouth uh, that just looks like you want to go and uh, stick a lariat in it. And he's standing there uh, basically in a in a tuxedo and a top hat not unlike the penguin but I would say not quite as well dressed as the penguin and holding uh, what looks appears to be an automatic pistol probably a 45 as far as the uh, informational download that we get uh, personal data alter ego unrevealed at least at this portion in in time in 1985 this does not reflect the uh, the Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, Roy Thomas revelation that he may actually be an actual animated dummy. Occupation, professional criminal. Marital status, unknown. <laughs> I, I hope it stays unknown. Known relatives, none. Group affiliation, none. And of course, he, uh, as I said, we don't know yet that he will be also a member of the Monster Society of Evil, and the uh, the future Injustice Unlimited. 
His base of operations is mobile, but uh, we know it's usually a prison cell. And his first appearance, as we covered here on this podcast, Leading Comics number 1. His height is three, 3 feet 1 inch. Just a little guy, weight 69 pounds. So you could probably pack him in a suitcase. Eyes are brown and hair is brown. Uh, history. The dummy is a criminal mastermind and inventor whose diminutive size and somewhat grotesque features make him resemble a ventriloquist dummy. In fact, originally his hired thugs thought he only was a lifeless dummy through which their unseen employers spoke. Of course, the dummy himself was the true boss. The dummy clashed repeatedly with the original crime-fighting vigilante. See Vigilante 1. We're going to do that real quick. In recent years, the dummy murdered the Chinese-American nicknamed Stuff, who as a boy who had been in the vigilante's sidekick. The vigilante and Stuff's son brought the dummy to justice for this crime. And spoilers for comics that are at least 20 to 50 years old. The, the, the dummy actually killed Stuff a couple of times. Powers and weapons. The dummy has no superpowers that we know of, but is a brilliant inventor of advanced weaponry. He carries a cane that can fire a powerful force beam. A poor hand-to-hand combatant, the dummy relies instead on his wits, his inventions, and his hired thugs. And in the the serpent, which is in red ink against a white background, the dummy is confronting the vigilante around a brick wall. And I neglected to say that this was published in Who's Who, original edition, September 85, and volume, or issue number at least, I should say, uh, number seven. And the dummy also appears on the cover of this Who's Who volume. Boy, I'll bet you could probably count the number of dummy appearances on covers on your one hand. And he is appearing as on the knee, as if he were a ventriloquist dummy, on the knee of a villain called the Earthworm, who is a sparring partner of the Helena Wayne Huntress, the original Huntress. And the omnibus isn't a lot of help in identifying who the cover artist is. Usually there's a different artist on every one of these covers. And if I was to guess, judging by the elongated man um, appearance on the front, I might say this is a Devin Stefan Di Stefano cover. But uh, don't quote me on that. Moving to Who's Who, March 1987, Volume 25. We have smartened up a lot on our on our cover um, artists and identifying them. And this is Kevin McGuire and Dick Giordano. And our character of concern, of course, is Greg Sanders, Vigilante, who is appearing uh, near the whip. Uh, the Viking Commando, the Unknown Soldier, and a character from the Forever People called Viking the Black. And he's just sort of standing there, very wary with a gun in his hand. And his uh, modern-day counterpart, that's the uh, Adrian Chase sort of assassin vigilante, is on the cover, on the front cover of Who's Who as well. By the way... um, before anybody ever asks it, 
This podcast is enough for me to cover Greg Sanders. I really have no intention of covering uh, Adrian Chase or any of the other vigilantes that have uh, appeared uh, since the 1980s and on forward uh, just because they don't interest me that much. Uh, Not that they're not great characters, but it's not my point of concern. And unless they ever have some reason to interact with Greg Saunders, uh, either somebody fighting over a name or something like that, I won't be covering them at all on this podcast. Believe me, I did think about it, and but I, as I said, I think I've got enough on my plate to dealing with all the old action comics appearances. Who knows? I could change my mind. It hasn't been known to happen. And moving on to page 867, uh, Vigilante 1, as it's identified in the index. And, of course, this is uh, our Greg Saunders vigilante. And he appears under a uh, logo that appeared off and on uh, through the Action Comics era, uh, most notably after Mort Meskin had moved on. And it's sort of in a uh, a Western-style font with lots of serifs and uh, lots of flourishes to the logo. If you know the character, you know the logo. Uh, I'll start with the surf print uh, for a change. Uh, we see Greg Saunders at the top uh, playing a guitar and pretty much uh, looks like he's singing. Further on down, we see uh, Vidge on his more modern cycle, the, uh, the Harley Davidson, uh, roping and corralling an armed gunman and making his uh, pistol fly out of his hand. And right over to the right-hand side, we see Vidge and Stuff, who sadly did not get his own who's who entry. And boy, that's a criminal omission. And in the center, of course, we have an exceptional illustration of the Greg Sanders vigilante holding one pistol and reaching for another as he strides towards some hombre that we can't see. And this is the art of, wait for it, Gray Morrow. And Gray Morrow is probably the best artist. Well, he is the best artist that ever was on Vigilante. No shade to Mort Meskin. He was the best artist any character ever had. If If you were a a superhero or a comics character and uh, you were drawn by Gray Morrow, you got huge justice done to you. Uh, Greg is just incredibly portrayed here. Uh, the cowboy hat appears properly. It's white, by the way, uh, but that's all right. I'm not going to fight on that one. Uh, the red kerchief, bandana, however you want to say, just sticks to his mask. I should also say the hat has a tie-down strap underneath his uh, his bandana, uh, something that is called by cowboys around here as an idiot string. Uh, uh, so some people don't like the uh, concept of having to have a string on your on your hat to make it stay on. You, if you live in southern Alberta, you know how to point your hat into the wind. Having said that, I'll tell you, I have one on mine because I'd rather be called an idiot than lose my hat. 
and uh, he's wearing that great old cavalry style uh, bib uh, shirt, uh, the kind my wife made for me last Christmas. Uh, over his shoulder is his uh, hemp lariat. I assume it's hemp, or at least sisal cord. He has two belts on because all good gunfighters and boy has a lot of comics characters or comics artists that don't understand this. You're going to have a belt on your pants and your guns are going to be a completely different belt. Um, he has a well-tooled belt going around the loop of his, loops of his jeans with a buckle that says V and another gun belt uh, that also has a V-shaped buckle uh, with extra rounds. And this, uh, this, this is what I really love. About, this is the, the Gray Morrow separates the men from the boys when it comes to uh, portraying Western gear. His gun belt has, as in cavalry style, as in the holsters are on what you might think of as backwards. But it's just a different style and a different sort of a personal taste um, that some people have on when you're wearing a, uh, a two-holster belt. And in this uh, holster, as I said, it's backwards, so the butts of the gun are facing forward. And the reason you do do that is just to give yourself a little split second of time in order to, uh, to bring that gun down proper and not have to turn it in your hands. And uh, the level of detail in this is, is amazing because his... Uh, as Shag and Rob said when they covered this page, goes, gee, his hand seems backwards. Well, his hand is backwards because the pistol is backwards, because he need, when he uh, corrects his his arm fold from his elbow, um, he will give be giving himself a split second to cock the pistol, and his, you can also see his thumb heading towards the trigger on the gun or the firing pin, rather, the firing pin. So he's getting ready to cock the pistol, and then that'll give him the opportunity to get the pistol or his index finger onto the trigger. And when he brings it back down around, it will be pointing uh, out where it's supposed to be. He won't have to think about it too much. And uh, these are slight nuances that if you don't know drawing from pistols, and from gun holsters, well, that probably sounds like a lot of geeky uh, foo-foo-ra. Uh, in his right hand, he already has his pistol, and his, his the uh, you can't see the hammer, so it's cocked in behind his thumb, and the index finger is already on the trigger. So somebody's about to have a very bad day at the ex expense of Mr. Saunders. Uh, the jeans are white. Oh, let, let's get back to the uh, gun belt for just a second. These, there are straps tied from the bottom of the holster around his leg. And that's to keep the holster from jumping and, uh, and not uh, catching on the trigger. And, uh, and the gun itself so that it, he doesn't end up shooting himself somewhere where he doesn't want to like his foot, his head, or other nether regions. Uh, back to the pants again, sorry. A uh, very light pair of blue jeans, uh, just light enough that you can tell that they're supposed to be blue and not white, Chris. He's wearing gloves, and I think uh, that uh, 
shows a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, one of the reasons it just looks cooler. He's just wearing a very uh, a, a wrist-length gloves, which is a little bit dangerous because uh, gloves can slip. But I assume he has an ex exceptional pair of gloves that are tightly onto his fingers so that they don't make that slip. And, of course, he's wearing uh, a walk of boots that are not a fancy sort of a... Uh, like a Hollywood cowboy sort of boots, but just an ordinary pair of boots with a walking heel. Sometimes you'll see people when they first buy cowboy boots or get a pair of cowboy boots, they have these high heels. Um, those aren't smart because your feet are going to wear out really, really fast in those heels. And uh, as I said, this is more of a walking heel. And you would have a heel if you were going to uh, ride on horseback. So let's go into the personal data. Alter ego, Greg Sanders. Did we know that? I think we did. Occupation, professional country singer. Marital status, single. Known relatives, unnamed grandfather, deceased. I'm not sure. I don't, don't think we ever did know that grandfather's name. I don't remember it. Sheriff Sanders, father, deceased. Uh, we do know that his, and at least even by this point in time in our Action Comics coverage, that his father's name was Tom. So that's that's a bit of a miss, but that's okay. Group affiliation at this point in time, the All-Star Squadron and the Law's Legionnaires, and we've talked about that as an alternate name for the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Base of Operations, New York City and the American West. First appearance... Say it with me, folks. Action Comics number 42. Height, 6 foot even. Weight, 188 pounds. Eyes, hazel. I don't think I've ever seen his eyes. Hair, black. I think the Rainbow Man. I wonder if the Rainbow Man knows what color the Greg Saunders' eyes are. In our history, okay, verbatim. Greg Saunders' grandfather was a famous Indian fighter who helped open up the American West to settlement in the 19th century before he was killed by an arrow in a battle with Indians. Greg's father carried on this fighting tradition but instead battled criminals out west and became a sheriff. Greg himself was born in Wyoming and even as a child was thrilled to watch his father in a gunfight with criminals. Greg eventually went east and became the a country singer on the radio. When Sheriff Saunders was killed by thieves out to steal a gold shipment he was guarding, Greg Saunders was called back from the east and tracked down the members of the gang of thieves. Afterwards, Saunders decided to devote his life to hunting down criminals as the vigilantes did in the Old West. Thus, Greg Saunders led two careers, one as radio's singing prairie troubadour and the other as the masked crime fighter known as the vigilante. The vigilante operated in New York City, but he also had adventures in the West. The head, a secret agent for Imperial Japan, sought to provoke a Tong War in New York City's Chinatown and framed Lin Chu, the wise leader of the White Lotus Tong, for wrongdoing. Lin Chu's young grandson, Stuff, helped the vigilante battle the head and his men and clear Lin Chu's name. Stuff, the Chinatown kid, thereafter became the vigilante, his crime-fighting sidekick. The vigilante was a member of the wartime All-Star Squadron 
and the Law's Legionnaires. The tremendous forces unleashed by the Legionnaires' battle with the strange being called the Nebula Man hurled the Vigilante back in time to the days of the Old West. The second Black Canary, Green Arrow, and Johnny Thunder in his Thunderbolt found and brought the Vigilante, who was little older than he had been when he fought the Nebula Man, back to their own time. The original stuff, now an adult, was murdered by the Vigilante's arch-foe, the Dummy. The Vigilante and Stuff brought the Dummy to justice, and Stuff Jr., Stuff's son, obviously, became the Vigilante's new sidekick. The Vigilante's current whereabouts and activities are unknown. Powers and Weapons The Vigilante is a superb hand-to-hand combat I'm sorry. The Vigilante is a superb hand-to-hand combatant, an excellent horseman, a brilliant marksman, and a master of the lariat. Stuff was highly skilled in jujitsu, as as was his son. And there we go. And here's me closing that omnibus. Because, whew, did that power me out. And there we go. There was another Vigilante uh, entry in the... I believe the 1992 Who's Who uh, Loose Leaf edition, but I think we'll save covering that for another time. And since both these entries came out in around, oh, 1985 and 1986, it sort of covers that crisis period and at least gets that uh, past us, that era. And in future um episodes of prairie justice we will be covering the end of crisis and see how vigilante fares in that if at all so there we have it folks that's uh basically my stash of treasures and bonuses and letters uh catching us up to the end of year uh, it's been a strange year for prairie justice i think we started off uh, really hard and then it pretty much uh, stopped outright, hit by a, a wall uh, this summer. But we've been back um, here late this fall, and I hope to get back on the schedule. Um, soon I'm going to be starting two weeks of, of holidays over the Christmas season, and I hope to use that time to get a bit, bit ahead and get a few uh, Prairie Justice episodes into the can. Um, also look for my guest appearances uh, this year on uh, Billy Dunleavy's Magazines and Monsters podcast. And hopefully that'll tie over here where I'll talk about uh, some Brave and the Bold and some World's Finest episodes, one that involves the Vigilante. Um, and with that, I'm just going to leave you not so much with New Year's wishes, but a New Year's song. I think we've all been inundated with uh, Christmas songs, and there's not a lot of New Year's songs other than Guy Lombardo. Oh, a Canadian, by the way. Hmm, imagine how that came up. But I'm going to leave you with, a, I think, a better New Year's song, and one at least a little less traditional, by also three Canadian pop stars who, if you were American, you may have know of or you may not know of, uh, combining for this one great tune. Uh, Murray McLaughlin is a songwriter from the 19, uh, early 1970s. Uh, biggest hit was the Farmer's Song, and he's sort of in the vein 
of Gordon Lightfoot, but he's very much his own man. He's he's worth looking up. He's got a lot of good originals tunes. Uh, Paul Hyde uh, was the front uh, man for the Payolas, which is a new wave band from the mid-1980s. And we also have Tom Cochran, uh, probably the best known outside this country, outside of Canada, and uh, the front man for a band named Red Rider and, and several songs in his own right. Uh, you can look those up on your own time, uh, but this one is a great collaboration. It seems to come around, at least in Canada, at this part uh, time of the year, around swords as, as our New Year's become old and our old New Year's become new. And it's got a, uh, a great line that I think every comics fan can identify with. Folks, have a great Happy New Year. Uh, be safe. And this in 2023, for a change, let's let the good guys win.
Hi again, folks. Uh, sorry, is Ranger Gord back here again. I had originally uh, published there, actually, I had originally recorded this episode just before Christmas and had posted it to come out to be on uh, New Year's Eve. And I guess that's one of those things, uh, if you want God to laugh, just tell him your plans. Uh, we've played quite a bit of Ian Tyson here on this show, and... Uh, to be uh, truthful, I've played a lot of Ian Tyson on past other shows because he's always been a uh, a singer and a songwriter that inspired me. And uh, I believe that his music just sort of fits with uh, the vigilante theme as well. So I guess that's why I've always tried to use him to put this Western Canadian slant or Alberta slant on the show as well. Well, um... As I said, tell them your plans. This is December 29th now, two days before I intended this to go out. And I think I will let this go out again, but I'm just bumping in here to let you know um, we've lost Ian Tyson. Um, Ian was in his 80s. Well, rather than just to fudge the facts, I think I will just go on here from the... Um, uh, the report that has, has come out here on the CBC website. Canadian folk music icon Ian Tyson died Thursday morning, um, December 29th. His former wife, Sylvia Tyson, confirmed to CBC News he was 89. Sylvia said that the, 80, the his impact on Canadian culture is hard to overstate. I sat in with a young band at the Horseshoe Tavern in Toronto and they wanted me to do four strong wins with them. It was quite a strong audience and I didn't really expect that kind of response, but everybody in the crowd sang four strong wins, Sylvia told CBC News in a phone interview. It's kind of like a Canadian national anthem. And of course, uh, the this is a... A late-breaking statement coming out here about uh, 1 o'clock here. 
uh, Mountain Time. Uh, Ian wasn't just a Canadian icon, he was also an Alberta icon, penned several songs about his home here in in uh, Alberta, two of which I have played on here, Alberta's Child and uh, Lone Star and Coors, and uh, had a profound impact in several directions in the musical world, beginning in the folk era in the uh, 1960s. Folks, uh, just didn't want to bring it down, but uh, rather than our usual canned intro, I thought I had already used done the closing thing. I think I am going to close it out here um, with the song that uh, CBC and Sylvia have said is probably his uh, best known song. I don't think it's his strongest song. I think he did a lot uh, before in the 60 odd years that he spent in the in the music business. But uh, if you're on the news sites, you'll probably see a few things. I would imagine my personal site and the Prairie Justice site, I'm going to be posting, plastering quite a few songs here today uh, in honor of the memory of Ian Tyson. So, with no further ado here, uh, take my hat off for four strong wins. Four strong winds that blow lonely, seven seas that run high, all those things that don't change, come what may. Our good times are all gone, I'm bound for moving on. I'll look for you if I'm ever back this way. Think I'll go out to Albert. Weather is good, bad, and fun. I've got some friends that I could go to work in for. Still, I wish you'd change your mind if I'd ask you one more time. But we've been through that. Hundred times or more. Four strong winds that are lonely, seven seas that run high. All those things that don't change, come what may. Our good times are all gone. I'm bound. I'll look for you if I'm never back this way. If I get there snow flies if things are looking good you can meet if I send you down the fair 
But by then it will be winter There ain't too much for you to do Cause those winds sure blow cold Way out there For strong winds I'd go alone Seven seas that run all those things that don't change Come on, man Our good times are all gone I'm bound for moving it on I'll look for you if I'm never back this way I'll look for you if I'm ever back this way